What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Evan Growth Livestream. My name's Rymar. As always, I'm here with Joe Krug. And today we're talking all about client horror stories. We thought at first this was going to be like just Webflow horror stories. But as we started looking, we're like, you know, this needs to be maybe a little bit bigger. And so we're going to talk about like design horror stories, stuff coming up, some WordPress stuff. Joe's got some crazy stories about uh, FinSuite. And we'll talk a little bit about why we went uh, development only. So we're gonna share all sorts of different uh, horror stories. We'll ask you all to share like we do. We'll get into the comments, but before we get into this too far, let's up and grow. Okay, what's up, Joe? Hey, hey, I'm, I'm ready to- Just a little bit in the background there, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, maybe the whole episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about some horror stories. We've done a lot of Webflow projects, and with a lot of projects in this industry, you're bound to hit at least a few horror stories. So yeah, we have really specific examples, and I'm also going to be talking about the changes that we made as a company after experiencing these horror stories. So there's gonna be some education, there's gonna be a little fun here. I'm excited for this one. And as usual, we're probably going to have just a little bit of chaos because that's how we do it. We're going to invite the audience in and we're just going to have a lot of fun as we go through all of this. Uh, so, OK, let's get started real quick with just a little bit of open house hype. So let's turn this down. Let's get this full screen here and let's just uh, we got a little something put together. So let's just jump to this view and see what's happening here. That's not the shot. That's the shot. There we go. Oh, dang. I did it again. It's on a loop. I forgot Twitter's got this auto loop situation. So anyway, go check that out. We just dropped a little hype video. It's this Thursday. The open house is this Thursday. So uh, basically doors open. I think it's at like 1230. Uh, things kick off at one. The panel is at two. Go check out global-meetup.webflow.io. Um, we've got like almost 600 people signed up. By the time the event comes, I expect another probably 150-ish signups over the next couple days, maybe 200 uh, based on how it's been uh, trending. So anyway, we expect a lot of fun at this event. There is a 500 person capacity inside of the gather space. So we expect um, to have plenty of room for everyone, but you know, you never know what's gonna happen. Uh, last year we got a couple key tweets right before the event. Uh, so anyway, Vlad's gonna be stopping by. We're gonna have a really cool panel that's coming up. Um, we, we've talked about it in previous episodes, just come go to global-meetup.webflow.io to get the notifications. Uh, make sure you're at that event. So, uh, and that's it. Oh yeah. One other thing we're going to do this community selfie, but I guess we'll talk, we'll talk about that later. We're not going to talk about that right now. Um, okay, so that's it. Let's get into it, Joe. We got a couple disclaimers, I think, here. Let's jump into this view. Let's get into a couple disclaimers, and then we got a funny little uh, video to kind of set up the episode here. So um, let's jump through the disclaimers, and then we'll, dr dr we'll set the scene for where we're at. 
Okay, disclaimer one, most projects do not end in a horror story. This should not be common. These stories are just very rare. So if you're finding that you're always hitting these horror stories every other project, you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, and many of these mistakes come from being inexperienced mm. or naive in the, the planning process of these projects. So as you get better at managing clients, as you get better at scoping projects, just working with people, your knowledge increases of your skill, you should have less and less and less horror stories. That's the first one. Can we talk about one second how much of a Webflow homer I am? Did everybody see that? On the bottom of the cup there? <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, yeah, that's how brown my nose gets. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> so let's jump into the second disclaimer, which is essentially don't let these stories discourage you. We're going to talk about like some stuff that's just not great uh, experiences that everybody goes through on their path. As Joe said, like this just happens as part of experience on your journey to make money in a digital realm. Uh, not everybody is super nice. I know this no code community is very friendly, uh, but you know, people out there are out looking out for themselves. And so you got to find out how to look out for yourself. We have episodes, this is why we do all these episodes about growth, is to go back and share some of our knowledge uh, with all of you. So if you're interested in some of this stuff and avoiding some of this stuff, check out our previous episodes. There's a whole library at uh, finsuite.com forward slash growth. Um, and for sure, don't let this stuff discourage you. So um, let's do this real quick. Let's say hi to folks in the comments. We got Sam Harrison in the house. What's up, Sam Harrison? Who else is here? Anto is in the house. What's up, Anto? Uh, Magdalena is here. Christopher Coleman, what's up? Penny, no horror stories for me so far, but the voyeur in me loves to hear other people's stories. I said, I think a lot of people are probably going to tune in just to hear about the crazy stuff. Well, uh, what's up, Tanette in Atlanta? Dale Jensen, this should be fun. Absolutely. Luke Nettie's in the house. What's up, Aida Oliva? Maggie's here. Two more days. Yes. Uh, check that out. We're going to have so much fun at the open house. Um, for sure, everybody should be here. Uh, Felix is in the house. Grace Walker's in the house. Kayla, what's up? Lucas is here. Uh, okay, that's it. Brandon, crew. Wow, Joel Whitaker is here. Aditya, Brandon, everybody is in the house today. What is going on? So uh, let's jump right into the show here. Let's jump right into what we got going on. So, um, yeah, I, it's... It, <laughs> It's right here. The fire guy showed up. I said this was going to happen. Go figure right in the middle of the show. It, it, it was working, by the way. I pulled it down for uh, so it didn't start squealing in the middle of the stream. Okay, so uh, they told us in our building we we're going to have potentially fire alarms today going off. There's a screwdriver right here, my man, if you need it. Um, so apologize for the realness, but that's what's going on here. So, uh, okay. Safety first. Safety first. That's right. Got to make sure this stuff is set up and that we're okay to go in the building here. All right. So let's set the scene for this. Let's set the scene for this episode. Uh, this, this guy, who is it? Webflow, um, webflow guy, Max Rodriguez came up with this funny little video that we wanted to show to play here. Let's just go right to it.
brilliant brilliant uh, I think everybody can relate to that process uh, in the world of just dealing with clients. Um, if I've ever had any problem with folks in the web design business, it is 100% trying to get the content from people. So anyway, shout out to uh, Max Rodriguez. Uh, he's had a couple little um, funny scenes like that recently. So um, yeah, anyway, Joe, what do you think? And let me, let me add to that. He made that video for this stream, for this topic. He he made a, a video on our, our one of our previous tweets. So this guy Max, I really respect <laughs> these kind of videos. I, I, it's just funny. And if you've been in the industry for even a year, you know what that means exactly, and you know how frustrating that is exactly. So I love that. <laughs> Max R is actually here in the chat with us. So uh, glad you guys oh, nice. liked it. More coming soon. Should we give them? Let's give them one more kudos. Let's let's show this other one because the other one was funny yeah. as hell too. Because I think this is super relatable to Webflow Pros as well. Uh, this yeah, let's just do this one as, as well. All right, what's up guys? So in this video, we're gonna be making Minecraft and Webflow for beginners. So let's get into it. First, you're gonna to wanna to open Webflow, hit create new site, we'll make a blank, blank site, name it Minecraft. All right, and pull up your reference. And we're gonna make sure you have your FinSuite uh, extension enabled. That's very important. Uh, we're gonna make a div, name it whatever. Uh, we're gonna use Rem. We're going to use REM because um, REM stands for, anyways, um, we're going to put an embed and we're going to use a little custom code. You don't really un have to understand any code because, uh, again, it's for beginners. Uh, we're going to put that in. Hit publish. Wait for it to publish. Open it. And you have Minecraft. <laughs> All right, what's up, guys? So in this video. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. It just had me dying, honestly. <laughs> it's too funny. Oh, uh, wow. yeah. REM, they stand for... Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So just a uh, classic. We love content like that. Um, share. Yeah. Share Share that stuff with us. Let's uh, Let's see. Look, content delays. Good job, Max. One. Yeah. The one about the REMs. Exactly. Truth. I'm dying. <laughs> REM stands for dot, dot, dot. Right. Yeah. So anytime y'all create amazing content like that, we're for sure going to um, highlight this on the stream. So, oh, I don't have the comments coming up on the screen. Sorry. I, was, I thought I thought I was giving y'all props for sharing the uh anyway okay so we we got that that's fun uh thank you max for the humor we appreciate that uh webflow guy go give at webflow underscore guy a follow on twitter to keep up with the silliness shenanigans but let's jump into we got seven reasons here we're gonna we're gonna do two things before we get into the deep into the stories we got two things we're gonna talk about seven quick reasons why uh, cl ho uh client horror stories happen and then we're gonna talk about like eight uh, client mistakes, you know, the most common client mistakes. And so uh, we don't just want to rip uh, on clients here. We, you know, we want to kind of give you some tools to maybe help uh, protect on some of this and and look at why these things happen. So let's run through these real quick, Joe, um, starting with uh, reasons why client horror stories happen. Reason number one. Reason number one, poorly managing client expectations. If your client thinks this big grand thing is going to happen and you can't deliver this grand thing, but you promise it, 
you're going to mismanage those expectations and that's a recipe for disaster. You are asking for a horror story if you cannot manage your client's expectations. So that means setting them up correctly in the beginning of the project and then following on those promises as you work on the project. Yeah. Yeah, which actually I'm going to jump to number three because that goes to poor communication or documentation and then uh, which I think leads to number two. We kind of got these out of order here. But yeah, if you're managing the client, uh, if you're poorly managing the client expectations, you're probably doing a poor job of communicating or documenting the process or any of that. And so um, that could lead you to what we had as the second one, which is that you're in over your head on a project. Right. A lot of times these client projects, these, these all go hand in hand. Right. So reason number two is you're in over your head. Um, you know, th those three can kind of be interchangeable. Right. Poorly managing those expectations, poor communication or documentation, or you're in over your head on a project. This happens a lot in Webflow, too. Um, I knew a guy who <laughs> actually talk about horror stories was uh, real eager to start building in Webflow and started telling clients he could do X, Y, and Z. And then he landed a couple of those clients and then couldn't deliver X, Y, and Z because of some of the limitations in Webflow. And I remember him reaching out to me like in the middle of the night, just like in total panic, like, yo, I need, I need some help here. Um, and it wasn't like something I could help him with, you know? Uh, so speaking of a horror story, yeah, if you're in over your head on stuff like that, it's hard uh, to, to, to avoid not having some kind of horror story. So uh, we already did number three, so let's jump to number four, which again, may be a part of all that. You know, it may be a symptom of all that, Joe. So you wanna take this one here? Yeah, if you force the project, maybe you needed the money or you, you just pushed a little too hard. I like when there is a mutual agreement to do the project. The client is really happy to start the project and you're really happy to start the project. If the client's not happy and you're trying to force it on them and like just giving 100% of all you got and you shouldn't be taking this project, don't do it. Don't force it. It should be a natural mutual connection. Yeah. <clears throat> and Grace, what's up, Grace? Uh, she's got a good... My comments aren't changing here. Uh, okay, we'll go back to that. But she's she's saying here that um, whenever something goes wrong first, the place I look is the mirror. Sometimes the client, but sometimes it's you. So that's what these first reasons are. So reason number four is you force the project. This is you uh, missing the warning signs. So reason number five, right? If you force the project, you most likely passed up something along the way that was telling you, hey, this is not the right project for me. You know, whether it's them bugging out about the price or, you know, them you know, having some kind of crazy timeline requirements or expectations about this needs to be done tomorrow or whatever, right? The client a lot of times will give you warning signs that you will ignore that will again get you to either force the project maybe because you need the money or, um, you know, for some other reason you've lowered your, your, your standard and you're just like, hey, I'm gonna take this project even though I know there's some warning signs here. That will often lead you to a horror story. So uh, number mm -hmm. six, Joe, or any thoughts number there six. on the warning signs? No, it, the warning signs are things that you're going to really start to better understand as you get more experienced. This is, you know, now when I see a warning sign, it's instant. I know it's a warning sign, even if it's not a common one. But yeah, warning signs, if there are red flags, just back away. Mm. Yeah, and, and that, then, can, that can be hard to do for folks if they're just starting out in the space. And mm -hmm. like I said, you need that project. You need that revenue you you know whatever it is and so that's where a lot of that early stuff comes from so okay number six and then number six you underbid the project so maybe one of those warning signs was the client wants 
a much lower cost for a lot of work. Mm. So you underbid that project to try to get it. There are times where maybe underbidding a project really makes sense. Yes. Maybe it's this big, massive client that with this client on your portfolio, it will take you to the next level. And you are investing your time, you're investing your effort. But usually we don't want to do this. This is a very, very rare instance. And when you underbid a project, it's not good for anybody. Nobody wants to be working on a project that you're losing money on, right? right? How terrible does it feel if you are doing work during the day thinking I'm losing money with every keystroke? You don't want to do that. So mm. don't underbid the project. As you get more experienced, you'll learn how to not do that. Yeah. Um, I, this is such a good point. I'm going to see if these, let's see if these comments work this time here. There we go. Anytime I've had bad client experience, the client negotiated on price and was trying for the cheapest price. I don't know how often this is in sales. I sold cars. I sold office supplies. I sold all sorts of random shit. Anytime somebody barks you down to like the lowest price possible, they're never going to be happy. They're just mm -hmm. never, ever, ever going to be happy. Like you just, that's a warning sign. And this is another, you know, follow up here to warning signs are hard in the beginning because you don't know until you've experienced. So a lot of times these warning signs aren't warning signs at the beginning. That's how you get into a nightmare project. That's how you deal with some of this. Uh, Pierre's making another good point here too. Client horror stories must, might just be the manifestation of bad lead qualification and or bad initial scoping. <clears throat> that's exactly what we we're talking about just a second ago. That's that's a good point, Pierre. So, uh, and then Vimalan saying warning signs are our spidey sense. Yeah, you develop these as you go. Um, <clears throat> and then there's one more. Joe, you can take this one because um, you added this to the list. Um, so sure. number seven here. Number seven is the client is a bad client or a bad person. Mm -hmm. This is not an excuse for every horror story. We just went through one to six. And a lot of the times, this is the problem. It's not the client. It's something that you did. It's something that you agreed on that you shouldn't have agreed on. However, not everybody's a good person. Mm. Not everybody's <laughs> a good client. So there are bad people out there. And sometimes you accidentally get into a project with a bad person. It's very important to understand that you can't use that excuse for every bad project. You can't just automatically say, oh, this was a failure because this client was wrong and this client is not a good person. So be very careful with that one, but just understand that not everybody is just a thumbs up great person. Right. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's a general, just a good thing to keep in mind as you go into business. Right. A lot of times yep. we're creators, we're, uh, you know, in this no code space, we're super helpful. We take for granted some of the relationships we build, but not all of business is like that, you know, um, and not everybody out there is looking to be your friend. Right. A lot of people will just try to take advantage of you. Right. A lot of people need creativity uh, on the cheap or they want to maybe take advantage of somebody who's just learning, who's got some good skills, but maybe they don't understand the business side of things. And so they know how to negotiate. They know how to operate. Right. This is, again, why Joe and I always talk about sales and why we talk about like how to position yourself and how to kind of deal with some of this stuff, because um, it's important for you to go into these relationships, understanding that sometimes you're just up against, um, you know, something that's difficult. And so let's um, let's see, maybe do we have a couple comments here before we jump into the uh, the most common client mistakes. So uh, Tom Somerseth is saying clients that demand a lot but not willing to meet your value usually should raise flags. It will not be a healthy relationship. Sure. 
100 mm-hmm. percent if they don't respect your process if you have a, a, a something you, you usually go through and again this goes back to communication you know stopping some of this from happening um joe any thoughts on that no I, I don't have I don't have any more thoughts on that. I'm I'm actually thinking about uh, some of the other comments around the content mm. uh, that the the content is is one of the leading causes for these horror stories because there's a delaying content and everybody gets unhappy. The client gets unhappy, you get unhappy, and and everything just starts to go downhill. So yeah, I'm seeing a lot of c- comments about content uh we're going to talk about that that's a problem and that is something you can absolutely get better at you know getting that client to be excited about giving you the content yeah yeah uh brandon's saying in south africa most deals do need some negotiation so in some respects i lost it uh if they don't negotiate we generally question why and they're really invested Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. So different parts of the world may have different different things. Uh, Webflow partner team, let's see, you'll see warning signs from this often as well. Some people are just unkind to patient rude, sometimes good to give the benefit of the doubt, but your intuition is usually right. Yeah. So with that, let's jump into some of these um, client mistakes. So we're going to run through these so we can get into the fun stuff. Um, number one is micromanaging the design. You know, if the client is just over top of your shoulder, if every time you come back with a revision, they've got a million different things, but they hired you because you're a quality designer, this is just like, come on, if you're a client now, we're talking to clients here. Don't do this, right? This is how you get into horror stories from a client side. So maybe there's gonna be some clients, you know, watching how to avoid some of this in the future. And so, um, you know, if you hire somebody for their art, let them do their art, you know? Um, That is one of the biggest things that gets you into a tough relationship. Joe, you wanna take number two there? Yeah, quick comment on number one. Oh, yeah, of course. We don't really design at FinSuite anymore, but sometimes there's just a little bit of initial design work that the client asks for, and we're not going to pass a huge project for just a little bit of work. So we'll do a quick test. We'll test the client mm. and give one one section, one page, quick, one day, and see how that client reacts. If they come back micromanaging that design process, that's it. We're done with that process. If they accept and everything's good, we move forward. So this is part of the experience here. We don't want micromanaging clients, but we can also spot those. We can run tests. We can do that before we go into the full project. And we'll get back to this one when Joe jumps into his uh, his first horror story here. So um, yeah, number two, number two, Joe, you want to jump in that one? Sure. A common mistake for clients is to give unclear instructions or change directions often. This is difficult. Some people are just not communicators. And on top of that, they may not know enough about the web industry. They may not know enough about development to understand what they're telling you. Uh, What they think of as a very simple direction may be very confusing to us. And this is really common. So. This would be number two. Rymar, anything to add to that? No, I think we can go right on to number three, which is kind of tied to number one, but like on the opposite. This is like too many people in the pie. A lot of times you deal with committee. You got, you know, you got to go to the marketing person and then they got to take it to the CEO and maybe you're not dealing with the decision maker, you know, and so that's also hard too. That's a big client mistake is you should give authority to make decisions to the person who's dealing with the freelancer. And so to avoid this as a 
as a Webflow professional, as a web design professional, you should always look for, you know, having a touch point that is a decision maker at the business so you don't have to deal with this. You shouldn't have to go and present something beautifully. A lot of times you have reasons and you can defend decisions that if you have to then go layer by layer in some other bureaucracy to get those decisions approved, they're not going to do a good enough job of defending your design decisions. And so that's why they come back with make the logo bigger or do this or do that because they don't understand. Right. And you're not there to kind of defend those decisions. And again, good design should maybe not need defended, but it happens. Right. So anyway, uh, jumping right on to number four. Number four, not delivering content on time. This is what we were talking about before. This can be such an easy project failure point when a client is just taking too long to mm. deliver the content, yeah. whether that's your deadline or even their own deadline. Usually clients are not hitting their own deadline with the content. And this is a big one. So we'll, we'll be talking more about that. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's five. what the video was all about. So um, yeah, number five, yeah. underpaying or undervaluing creative work. Look, if they're, again, we talked about that a little bit, if they're trying to jerk you down on the price, or if they don't really value, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, somebody that's going to do the website for 500 bucks or 200 bucks on Fiverr or whatever it is, and your, you know, $10,000 proposal, this is not the client for you, right? Like Grace said before, they're not, they're never going to be happy. So, the, you know, if somebody's underpaying or undervaluing creative work, try to move on, you know, try to move on. I know sometimes we can, I know sometimes we just got to take those deals, but uh, okay, last uh, three real quick, and then we're going to jump into Joe's first horror story here. So number six. Number six, scope creep. This is when a client is crossing the line of what was agreed upon before the project started, whatever was in the statement of work, the original agreement. And there's two reasons why I think clients do this. Number one, they don't value your time. They don't value your effort and they just want whatever they want, regardless of what you agreed on. Number two is the avoidable one. And that is when they truly don't know that they are in scope creep. Mm. Remember, the client is not as knowledge knowledgeable as you in design or development. That's why they hired you. So sometimes, very honestly, a client will ask for something thinking it may be more automatic. Maybe they came from a WordPress environment and this little process was just a bit more automatic inside WordPress mm. or some other platform. So educate. Yeah. This is how you get around scope creep. When a client asks for something, say, hey, this is not included in the statement of work. I can do this. Like I could do a, a simpler version of this. But what you asked for is going to be an additional two weeks of work because of this, this, this. Mm. And a lot of the time the client will come back and say, OK, you know what? Let's do the simple version. We don't need that. The full version. Yeah. So education, scope creep. This can be avoided. Yeah, and crew is saying here, this is super challenging for early stage freelancers to combat. This all goes back to communication. This all goes back to having uh, the right, you know, uh, scope of work, the right, um, what am I looking for? Uh, I guess the scope, not the scope. Um, Oh, what am I? What am I looking for? The statement of work, um, having this well outlined and having a good, you know, workflow for how you're doing this stuff. So yeah, crew, I agree with that 100%. We'll get back to these questions here just in a second. Let's finish these last two. Slow pay. Listen, customers in this day and age that don't understand, especially when they're dealing with freelancers or small shops, like pay your bills. You know, this net 30, net 90, net 60, whatever it is, stop doing that shit. You know, like you got a freelancer, they deliver the work, pay the bills. Um, so if somebody's slow paying you, that's probably a sign that, you know, um, and, and, and maybe sometimes ask people, you know, it's okay to like tell people, Hey, you know, like 
just FYI, if we can get the payment on this, you know, I'm a small shop. I got to pay other people for the project, right? Let people know. You don't have to be like, hey, I'm, I'm hungry. You know, like I, I haven't been paid in three <laughs> weeks. You know, there's other ways to say this stuff, right? Like, hey, I've made commitments on your behalf or I have to pay other freelancers or I have to make sure the rest of the team is taken care of. Uh, we're a small shop. You know, you can encourage people to, to do some of that. So um, and then we've kind of covered this one, too. The final one is ignorance and complexity. Um, Joe, I think you mentioned that on one of the last ones. Just, you know, the client doesn't know yeah. what's happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And another red flag this this idea that somebody can get a full scale application for the price of a simple marketing site mm. uh, this is a red flag absolutely when somebody comes with a huge plan of this ridiculous complex app and they want to pay a very small amount just run from that immediately yeah yeah okay let's um let's just take a quick couple quick look at these comments here who was it um noah had a good one i would love to know how you say no after that test so after some of the design stuff where you're saying maybe we test the the client on their design process um how would you back away from that with the client after they failed a, a design over uh, you know overbearing test or a micromanagement test we we set the stage for this test very early. We even call it a test. This is not, we're not trying to hide the fact of accepting the work or not accepting the work. We say, hey, our design resources are very limited. We don't have a lot of designers. We just have this time to do this. So let's do a test. Let's design this page. Let's see if we're, we're good working together. Let's see if we can make this happen. If it doesn't really work out well, we say, hey, we're, we're not available for this design work. We we're now, yeah, we're, we're just not available to do it, which is true. This is not a lie. Uh, we, we have a lot of people asking us for design work, even though we don't offer it. So yeah, we just make it very clear. It's very transparent. We're not going to hide something from that client. Nice. And Noah, if you have a follow-up to that, let me know. I know this is something a lot of people are thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, and Magdalena's got a good um, tip here. Check out Effing Growth number 20. Learn about setting client expectations, how to react when something goes wrong with a client. Um, again, we've done episodes on all of this. So I think let's get into uh, the fun stuff here. Let's see, Aditya saying number eight is facts. Client needs to be reasonable. Yeah, yeah, they need to respect you and trying to get some... Yeah, sometimes bosses acting, you know, acting bossy, needy, clients acting bossy, etc. Yeah. Um, Let's see, are these client mistakes the reason FinSuite has stayed away from design work? What a good transition. Joe, do you um, want to take your first swing at the client horror story here? I do. And this is the story of the official switch to dev only. This was the project that said, all right, these, these ideas of going dev only will happen immediately, starting literally today. Switching to design was something I was considering all throughout 2020, I believe. You mean switching to development? Sorry, switching to development, not offering design. I was thinking about this because I realized there was a trend in the design projects. Any horror story was only on the design portion. It wasn't on the development portion. Mm -hmm. So this was in my head. This horror story, after this ended, after we returned the money to the client, I said, we are not taking a design project ever again. And I started drafting the article that explained why we were going development only. And I will tell that story right now. This was a fairly large project. It was maybe 
40 pages of design. It was just a massive, massive site. It was a SaaS product. I thought it was really going to help us get to that next level in SaaS products. And this client was awesome when we started. We were working directly with the CEO and the COO. So we were top, top working with the top people. This person sent the money immediately. They responded within minutes of every message. So this project started out excellent. There were no warning signs. We were thinking, wow, this is a great client. I can't wait to have a long-term relationship with this person. And this went on for months. For two months, it was wonderful. The client had just enough design knowledge to give really good feedback. Uh, there, it, I, I don't believe they were micromanaging. They definitely had a say in the design, but it, it wasn't a, a bad process. The project took way longer than we expected. We did feel like we may be underquoted just because of the complexity of 40 pages of designs. It's a lot. But still, we were excited. I mean, we were pumped to, to go and release this project. One day, there was a light switch turn, an instant turn on the entire mood. The client sent over a message and said, the design is not good quality. The development is not good quality. I want to end the project immediately. And I want, um, I want a full refund. Whoa, what are you talking about? We've been working on this for months. Design, even development, confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. And this person just snapped. I don't know what happened. Maybe there was some something that happened in their business that went wrong and they needed to get that money back. Uh, we, we had gotten 50% of the total cost and this person was demanding it back. I mean, they were talking about bringing lawyers into, into this, which is kind of ridiculous because we've been working on it for months with all positive feedback. And this person was citing like the tiniest messages from months ago where they didn't like one little thing of the design. It was a true horror. I mean, we were looking at this project thinking we just wasted three months. And we did go and return that money. This was not, this is absolutely not worth a legal battle. It's not worth trying to, to fight with a person like this. So I, I like to think that the client was a bad person. Uh, I, we didn't see any warning signs. We didn't force the project. Uh, there was no poor communication. This was just a rock solid everywhere. And this person turned. And after they turned, I realized this is so subjective. You know, this person is not wrong about their opinion on the design because it's an opinion. So maybe they liked it for three months, but they woke up one day and they didn't like it. That's not wrong. It's just their opinion. <laughs> so after that, I, I said, we're not doing any of this anymore. With development, it's objective. You can't tell us we're wrong because there is a factual way to do this and there is a right and wrong for exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And looking back on it, I'm actually glad it happened, right? Because we made a huge change after this. 
maybe if that project was a success, we would have gotten another SaaS design project and another SaaS design project. And then we have this, well, one out of 15 projects is a horror story. But now we don't have any horror stories. After we switch to development, everything is smooth. Everything works well. So it really, really started this big change for the brand. And this was so important for us, for growth, for scaling, for revenue, for profit. Um, so I like to look at the positive in, in everything. And even though this was a true horror story for us, I'm happy it happened. Yeah, and I'm sharing here, if people uh, look at finsuite-press-conference.webflow.io, back on November 11th, I think that was of, um, was it 2020? No, that's not it. That's not it. There's a dedicated article in finsuite.com slash news. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. But I think we cover that in the press release. Um, Feed.com forward slash news. Yeah, I think they're both related. They both link back and forth to each other. Um, Oh, nice. Okay, this has been updated. Let's go here. So if anybody wants to see, you can read this. Let's see. Um, is it not here? I just shared it. Yeah, it is right here. Webflow development yeah. implementation only. Yeah, so this is the article. And then if you want to click here to watch it, uh, we discussed the article in detail in this press release. And you can go back and just see why we did that. There are a lot of folks. Um, this, this does seem to be a trend. I saw, uh, let's see, where was it? Somebody was saying exactly that, that a lot of people are coming into um, Webflow and trying to go development only. Uh, let's see, I hear more and more people right here. Uh, Felix Means saying, I hear more and more people from the Webflow community thinking about doing dev only work. Yeah. Um, and and it, not specifically for this reason, but like typically you're dealing with folks who understand what they're doing. When, when, you're, when you're dealing with a company that wants to do that, they've got their own design team. Right, they're looking to just bring somebody in to do the front end stuff. Usually dealing with a bit more sophisticated client, they typically have a little bit bigger budget. Uh, it does allow you to step into a different realm. Like your local mom and pop shop is not gonna just hire a dev only shop. They need someone to design, right? That's where they go to the agency. That's where that stuff kind of flourishes. Um, and that's not to say that design people don't have a need in lots of different places, but by doing this dev only thing, you kind of step out of that design experience and it, by default, you target a different type of client when you when you offer that service. So um, I think we'll start to see more and more as, as we go on that, so. And you, you can see from that story that it it wasn't avoidable. Mm. I'm not leaving out any information here. This this actually happened exactly as I'm stating it. There was no, there was no lead up to this message. It just happened. So that's, in the beginning of the episode, we said this is going to happen. It's inevitable. I mean, even if you're doing development only, people can snap. Yeah. There are people who are trying to take advantage of you and they're just looking out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Mustafa here, rock and roll CEO is saying, I've drafted a detailed and concise contract that I've honed over the years that addresses these issues. Happy to share. Um, yeah. Uh, suggest using a CRM that doesn't avoid a lawsuit, right? Just because you have a contract doesn't mean some company is not going to sue you. And a lot of times it's just easier to not have to deal with a lawsuit, even if you have a contract. So um, the, this, yeah, Omkar is saying, yeah, lots of people are saying, so yeah, if you have a link to that, share it, let's connect on Twitter, can, can send, there you go. So uh, that's a cool thing happening in the community there. Let's see, Luke Netty for small businesses, you could also offer some type of templates to avoid a completely custom design. Sure, there's lots of other ways to avoid this. Um, and you know, we're not gonna get into all the different ways, but um, let's see, Christopher Coleman is saying, I've had a few projects become painful during design and I've been reflecting on whether I just hate design 
I'm not talented in design. If my process is busted, I always love the dev side. Stuff to think about. You know, this mm-hmm. is stuff that you should definitely think about. There's nothing wrong with niching down a little bit. Uh, we've done episodes on all of this. So, Joe, any thoughts there? Design's not for everybody. You know, I think as you get better and better at design, these issues happen less. Mm-hmm. Because as you're really good at design, you're going to attract people that love really good design and probably appreciate your work more. So if you're not at that next level of design, you may be bringing in people that don't really understand the value of your work. And if that's the case, yeah, this could be a very, very difficult process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aditya's got a good point here. Design's always subjective. Something that looks brilliant to you can look totally different to another person, exactly. Felix, I think that's why you need to be even pickier with your clients. If you do the design phase, I focus a lot on design. You got to make sure you have a good vibe before saying yes. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. Uh, and and again, this is not something that's going to happen all the time. We've had plenty of you know, since we had many design clients before that, super successful, See, yeah. and clients oh, yeah. after that, super successful. So this is like a fluke of a story. This is not a thing that happens a lot. But it just goes to say, let's see, where was it? Um, somebody was saying here that yeah wow so stuff like this can happen to FinSuite too yeah it can happen yep. to anybody we said at this at the beginning it's unavoidable and our conclusion you know in case you're not going to be here at the end basically if you don't have a horror story you just haven't been in the business long enough you know if you don't have a story like this you know you just haven't been in the business long enough so to net when you and say oh sorry go ahead joe this the, the designer on that project is one of our top designers this person has delivered many enterprise projects for many large companies with beautiful design work. So it's not like this happened with a beginner designer or somebody that just wasn't talented. There's a lot of talent in there. So yeah, it can happen to us. It could happen to anybody. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, to net. That's right. When you say dev only, does that mean you're writing a lot more custom JavaScript to solve more complex problems? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. No, no, it, it could be. Uh, I think once you start going into the dev only side, you should have a little bit more interest in the custom work. But that it could be completely front end marketing sites. You could be dev only and not touch a single line of JavaScript and be highly successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's enough cool comments for now. Now we get to jump into Rymar's uh, client horror story. And we've got a couple more lined up, but I don't know if we'll, uh, by the time we get through this and get to some comments and stuff, so we'll see. Uh, my story is not a Webflow related story. My story actually goes back to when I was getting started in this business. Um, and I was when I was getting started, I was doing whatever people would pay me for. Right, so sometimes that was a website, sometimes that was like designing an infographic, sometimes like, literally like a marketing flyer for an event or something corny. Um, I wasn't super strong on the uh, web design side, but I was learning. Uh, But I had some good design experience and I found some guy who was like, yo, you got a nice take. I like your designs because I do do have some design background, but it was like industrial design, not like web and tech design. So anyway, we come up with a deal. He's going to pay me like five grand to do the interface for an app that already exists. So he's got the app. It's an iPad app. This thing already exists. He wants me to reskin the app. Uh, and I'm like, cool, no big deal. Uh, let's take a look at this. We start building, you know, I start doing research. I turn into a UX expert for this project. Not really, but you know how it goes, right? Just dive in because this is my first, you know, client in this space. I know I can deliver the goods and all I have to basically do is refresh all of the different screens, come up with like a design system that kind of unifies all this. 
And so I do, I do the home page. I do, you know, a couple of the interior pages of the app. I do a couple different views and just to, just a test, right? We've done wireframes. We've done some like styles and we've, we've looked and tried to figure out what is it exactly that they're looking for. And so I deliver the goods. My dumb ass sends over the actual Photoshop file, right? So big no, no <laughs> in the world. This is, this is probably seven or eight years ago too. So none of these Figma or any of this other stuff's around. I deliver the file. The guy had paid me halfway, right? So he had paid me the deposit. Um, and all we had left to do was to basically agree on the designs that I had delivered. And then once we agreed, I was going to go shape out the rest of the screens. And that was the other half of the project. So the next day when I walk into this guy's office, cause this isn't a co-working space that I was at. This is a guy I knew personally. This is a guy I knew in the real world. I walked into his office and this guy's on PowerPoint breaking down my Photoshop files, taking screenshots of different sections and doing the other like screens that I was supposed to do. And that day he told me, oh, uh, thank you. We don't really need you for anything else. Uh, we, we'll be able to figure it out from here. We love the designs. You know, you did a good job. Thank you. Call me later. And I was like, yeah, okay, but you owe me like the second half of this work. He's like, well, yeah, but you know, we didn't do these screens. So yeah, not going to pay. And I'm just like, what in the actual fuck just happened here? Like I'm, I'm literally, I don't know. <laughs> this was probably like the only dollars I had in at the time, you know, as a early freelancer, like this project may have been it. That might've been like two months of me living, right? 2,500 bucks at the time might've been two months of, of like expenses and stuff. And so to not then have that come through and have no recourse, cause I didn't have a lawyer at the time. I didn't know shit. I didn't have a good contract. I didn't have anything, right? I just started freelancing and I'm like talking people into paying me for creative work. And so, yeah, that was just something. And that taught me, you know, the moral of the story is don't send final finals. <laughs> don't send final files without payment. Like I should have just sent screenshots. I should have sent samples. I should have sent compositions. I could have sent all sorts of different things that would have restricted him from being able to have full access to all these different things and be able to have modular components that he could pull out because it was built properly. And, um, yeah. And, and even like a contract, we had like just a little word of mouth contract. Again, I didn't have like a big formal agreement or anything in place. Uh, and so stuff like that happens. That's how you learn, you know, going back to the beginning of this, uh, it's not great. Nothing about that was fun. You know, um, I got through it <laughs> luckily. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, Joe, any, any, any thoughts on, uh, any stories where you got stiffed ever? Well, that's a, it's terrible to hear that, that, you know, that one also falls into the bad person category for mm -hmm. me. You know, maybe you shouldn't have sent that file, but even if you did send it, it's just a bad thing to do. Come on. Yeah. And I want to bring up the contract side and a comment from from great design lead, Emily. Emily says, I've had a horror story with a client, but won't go into it. But a lawyer said the best advice is to get the strongest contract that you can and have it created for you by a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Great. And Raymar, you said you didn't have a contract. It's good to have a good, strong contract, of course. We, we stepped up our contract game last year at FinSuite and it feels great. However, it's not an official fix, especially for what Rymar just explained. Yeah. So the $2,500 payment, that would be completely erased with legal fees, with resource time, 
So even if, let's say you had the perfect contract in place and this person was supposed to pay that, that money is gone. It's erased because the, the cost of the project is less money than the cost of yeah. the legal process, yeah. which is really unfortunate. So yes, strong contract, but that doesn't mean that you're saved from all of this. Yeah. Yeah, strong contract's only gonna give you a leg up to stand in in court, but then you have to go to court. And mm -hmm. if it's a big company, they maybe have lawyers on staff, you're maybe paying by the hour, or you gotta come up with a retainer, which is a couple grand, mm -hmm. like no good lawyer is gonna talk to you without a couple thousand dollar retainer. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just in small cases like that, sure, if you're doing $50,000 projects, 20,000, sure, you probably wanna have some legal uh, backing because you know that might be worth you know, spending a couple thousand bucks. The contract in small claims court, you know, could play, but that's assuming you're in the same locality and your local court is amenable to that kind of stuff. You can usually file small claim stuff uh, personally. And if you have a little contract like that, a lot of times a mediator or something will um, collect a settlement. But just because you win in court does not also mean you're gonna get the money. Cause that's just the court saying, okay, you're the winner. You're right, you have a contract there. Uh, sir, you gotta pay, you know, Emily the money. And now you gotta go get the money from the person. So just cause you win yeah. a settlement doesn't mean the money's there for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, the best is to avoid this. And Anto's got a good question here. How do you come back when you face a horror story, still traumatic? Um, you make a change. Yeah. You you make that change. So Reimar, you sent the Photoshop file. I bet you've never done I've that again. Never, right? ever in my life sent a finished file to anyone without that final payment go. after that. There we go. And, and we, I got a contract right yeah. after that. I literally, I just, even though it wasn't a perfect one, I like copied and pasted it from, you know, somebody like Mustafa was like, hey, I have a contract, use this. And I was like, oh, perfect, thank you. You know, and I just went in and changed all their names to my names. And I was like, I got a contract now. Um, so yeah, you, you, you adapt, you learn, and you try not to create, you know, or commit the same mistake again. And for the horror story that I told where the client just snapped, we made the big decision to not do design. Mm. So when you face a horror story, Look at the look at the project, figure out what went wrong, what you did wrong, what the client did wrong, and make an actionable change starting immediately to avoid that in the future. And if you keep doing that, you'll find that you have less and less and less and less horror stories yeah. to the point where maybe almost no horror stories. I, I honestly cannot remember the last horror story that we had at FinSuite. Yeah. The one I told was really the last one I can think of that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't, and I haven't had a lot in the Webflow world. Again, I didn't do, I mean, I was probably only like 20 Webflow clients deep by the time I, you know, abandoned ship and joined FinSuite on the community side of things. So I didn't have a ton of experience on the, like the FinSuite or I'm sorry, the Webflow uh, client management side. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I was also pretty proficient at dealing with clients, you know, in that moment. So I had, I had, I had processes. I was a lot better. I was a lot more confident in myself. You know, a lot of times you don't know how to be confident or how to like stand up to somebody, you know, they think that, oh, they're the ones that are paying me the check. And so I can't say anything that they're going to think is like negative or that they're going to take. No, you have to learn how to stand up for yourself. You have to learn how to articulate these things or else you will get kind of run over. Um, let's see. <laughs> Pro hack, marry a lawyer. There you go. If, if, if any of y'all are out there, you know, we're going to have like what, like a no code matchmaking service. There you go. <laughs> you can come to the global open house. If you're a lawyer looking for some freelancers and agencies, maybe there's some folks there. That would be interesting. Actually, we should think about having a lawyer there to, to chat with folks, huh? Yeah. Nice. That would not be a bad idea.
Okay, uh, let's see. Any other comments here before we jump forward? You seeing anything here? Lucas, can you take this one, Joe? Uh, Lucas, yes, uh, more of a designer than a developer, but developing is much more straightforward unless the client really trusts you as a designer, which equals not sending wireframes and most of the time only a few references. Yeah, Lucas, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> trust is so important and it's really hard to gain somebody's trust when you just meet them online, when you've had two phone calls, when the person doesn't know you. Uh, Lucas, again, once a client wanted a design in 10 business days, by the time I handed it to her, she asked about the other sections. I told her that they only come after the homepage approval and she went nuts. Yeah, that happens. It, this is, it's really hard to get somebody to really appreciate and trust your work. So Lucas, we all feel this. Rymar, do you have any, any comments on this? No, I think, um, yeah, I think what he says, he said, I fired her straight away later. So, yeah, yeah. That's and Edgar, Edgar's saying here, it's the cost of learning. Sometimes you got to get a little burnt before you know that the stove is hot and you shouldn't, you know, do mm -hmm. things a certain way that you got to have a little pot holder on when you're pulling the, the pan out of the oven or whatever it is, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's see. Noah's here saying Gary V said the difference between extremely wealthy people isn't money. It's because they know how to adapt. Sure, adaptable, yeah. flexible. Yeah, just don't let that stuff knock you off your rocks and um, find a way to get back up. You know, like it's like we said, it's going to happen to everybody, right? It was a big hit for FinSuite to have to give that money back to that client. You yeah, know, especially was, after the work really was, was done, especially after the work was done, months of time. Like, but that's a hit, and you got to decide: do we take this hit and fold, or do we adapt, or how do we go? And this actually gave put us in a situation to to kind of go after what you know, we saw as a, a higher trajectory, which is going after products, going after development, kind of separating ourselves in the space in that way. Uh, and maybe we'll look back and see that that was a beginning of a trend inside of the Webflow world. You know, maybe the Webflow world yeah. had just evolved to the point where that becomes feasible, you know, where there's enough people looking for for that type of thing. So uh, that's, you, you know, that's a great point. I'd love to add to that comment that at the time going development only was a bit risky. Mm -hmm. There weren't that many people in Webflow, especially just looking for development work. So I remember doing this and getting a ton of messages. Are you sure this is viable? Are you sure that you're going to make enough money? And I said, you know what? Yeah, I feel that we are going to make enough money. Right now, half of our projects are development and they're our best projects. So let's try to amplify that. Uh, so yeah, the, and this is, this is a growing trend in Webflow, this development only mindset. Leave people who love the design, that want to deal with the design, that want to to figure out these problems in the design. And people who don't, people who are not that passionate about design can now go into the development and focus on something completely different. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, Kayla's actually got a couple really good points here. I was a professional doormat when I first started freelancing. Now my clients appreciate <laughs> my straightforwardness. Also helps with increasing nice. trust. Um, and then she's got a follow up here. There's an art to being strict in business and still remaining kind and easy to work with. That's nice. it. You have Love to it. learn how to stand up for yourself a little bit when you're talking to folks or they will take advantage of you. Like this is how the world works, right? If I knew I can get away with something, I'm probably going to get away with something. And the folks who are typically making decisions or running businesses or the folks who are like, you know, like they're running shit, 
right? They're making moves, they're making decisions, they're trying to figure out where they can save money, they're trying to figure out where they can get the best product for the least cost or, you know, with the least amount of hurdles. And so they're gonna do whatever they can and it's your job to make sure that you get the value you're worth. This is why we always talk about building that portfolio, presenting yourself properly. So Kayla, this is really good points that you gotta figure out also how to communicate with folks in a way that allows you to be stern, but not, you know, overbearing, you know, so that you don't, you don't scare people off, so. Right, there is always a polite and kind way to communicate something. Even if it's the worst news ever, you can do it in a professional way. And when you do that, it's taken much more positively by that person. So instead of the person reading it and being mad instantly, the person can read it and say, okay, this isn't the outcome I wanted, but I understand. This right. was communicated very well to me. Yep, nice. Uh, here, Penny's got a nice one, Jay, you can take that one. Penny says, I prefer to do an extensive discovery process as a first step before ever finalizing a price or getting into design. Gives us a chance to work together and see whether it will be a good relationship. Penny, this is great. And Penny, I have to ask, are you charging for your discovery process? Mm. Are you getting paid for that? At FinSuite, we never got paid for it until maybe mid this year, a few months ago, yeah, or last year. Now, when people come to us with technical hurdles and technical problems in Webflow that they don't even know how to properly explain to us, we say, great, let's figure out if Webflow is right for you. Let's figure out if this is a good relationship. And we're going to charge you hourly on phone calls. We're going to charge you hourly to look at your wireframes and to give you professional information about how you should take the next step. This is awesome. It feels like we're not wasting time because nobody wants to have an extensive discovery process and then it doesn't happen. The project doesn't happen and you weren't paid anything and you just spent six hours for really no no true benefit of, of your business. Right, yeah. Um... <clears throat> And you also, it's, uh, it takes a little bit of art explaining a discovery phase and getting people to understand the value. And typically you're dealing with a little bit more sophisticated clients. So again, this helps you kind of elevate that sphere of client that you can get into by offering some of these things, even by asking for some of this stuff, right? A lot of the ways you control a conversation or manage a communication or manage expectations is by the way you ask the questions. We've done episodes on this in the past and this is a good way, right? Asking all these questions early on is a good way to get to the place where you understand the client. So you try to avoid some of these horror stories. So. Uh, Joel's got a good comment here. My big mistake was agreeing to an equity deal on a client project. I was working for a minimal monthly retainer with a verbal agreement to get X uh, on launch. L lost a year of dev, but dot, dot, dot. Uh, I don't see what the, I found Webflow as a result. There you go. Nice. Okay. So that, yeah, that might be a good payoff. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I've never had a deal payoff where they're like, oh, we're going to pay you in exposure. We're going to pay you in a trade. Like it just, and they never work out. Those deals never work out. They just, mm -hmm. just stay away from that stuff. You know, um, there may be opportunities for you to build a site for like a nonprofit or for somebody on the cheap that's going to elevate your standing. We've talked about why this may be advantageous to do some of those projects, but it's almost never going to pay off. Like, you know, what are you going to build a website for a company that probably going to, you know, what 85% of businesses fail, you know, new businesses fail. So yeah. odds are you're going to build a website and build equity in a company that's not going to be around. So tell them, you know what? I like that. Uh, you can pay me 
And then when y'all succeed and you have some stocks, I'll be happy to invest some money in your business, right? But you, but I gotta get paid for my work in cash because I got bills to pay. Um, so yeah, I, I, I tend to, to recommend people stay away from, from that. So, um, Any other thoughts there, Joe? Yeah, that shouldn't be, that should never be a first step. Mm. If someone's offering you equity, that should be after multiple successful projects together. Mm. Uh, that that's when it would make sense. Like, hey, you're a really important part of our development process. You're a really important part of your design process. I want to make this agreement more official. Do you want a piece of equity? Yeah, that feels a little better. But if they yep. come out saying, hey, we're looking for a company to build on equity. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's an instant. No. Yeah. This is a good uh, red flag here. Fernando saying my Webflow red flag is the never ending story client giving changes and changes and there's always a new little thing to add and like this one more mm -hmm. thing that we didn't think about and oh yeah this whole little oh yeah we just add that real quick um yeah yeah well, that's exactly how we wanted it you know and oh just like uh <laughs> so i get that yeah so this this can be avoided by giving the client really clear communication mm. in the beginning we talked about how we want our clients and our leads to communicate well with us we have to do the same for them. So when clients do this, we can say, hey, I would prefer to have all of these changes in one message, in mm. one email, so I can go and make all of them. And then if they are still sending too many of them, right, those big long messages just keep coming and coming and coming, set it down. Set, hey, this site is supposed to launch in two weeks. I need to have the final changes by this Friday so I can start doing final QA checks and testing the site. After this day, we can't have any more changes. Mm. And that's okay. As long as you communicate that well and you say, I'm looking out for you. I don't want to have these last minute changes that break the site. It makes sense. Just communicate that well. So Fernando, yeah, this happens and there's, there's ways to avoid it or improve that process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Lucas, after getting to know a lot of client horror stories and even being in one or two of them, I realized that at many times it was the developer who didn't communicate that well. Agreed. I think that's why we started the episode with the things that, um, you know, you can do wrong, the things that lead to horror stories and then what clients can do wrong that lead to horror stories. So uh, I do. I think managing that communication on both sides is super important for this process mm -hmm. here. So. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Grace is a good point. Grace says, learning to say no transformed my whole relationship to work and clients. Yes. You don't have to say yes to everything, even if it's a good client. If they ask for a service you don't want to provide, say no. If they're asking for a feature that was not part of the statement of work and you are not confident building it, just say no. Hmm. That's not That's not part of it. Uh, hey, this is too much JavaScript. I don't write JavaScript. So you can look at this company and this company to help you after the project. That's that's totally fine. And saying no is difficult sometimes. Grace, I'm yeah. sure that this was a skill that you have developed over months or years of practice. Yeah. Yep. 
Penny's answering your question before, Joe. She's saying, yes, it's a paid process. Clients get roadmap doc, uh, like a lean canvas, nice. personas, et cetera. Yeah, so it's a nice little offering there. But she is saying yeah. it can be hard to sell discovery, which I can imagine. Um, selling discovery. It's a little bit more common if you're doing like some no code development, if you've got a lot of unknowns and you need to kind of dig in on some stuff. Um, a lot of times people expect part of that discovery to be in the website development process. But again, that comes down to you and your process and the more experience you get, the more confident you come in your process and the more willing people are to pay you and kind of go through those processes. So the better you get, the more high quality work you deliver, you'll start getting into tiers where you can dictate those terms, right? It gets to the point where uh, there's agencies out there <clears throat> and we have this at a certain extent where we can have a little bit more discrepancy on what clients we work with. Maybe early on in your career, you can't do that. And so this all comes from building processes and experimenting and maybe getting burnt once in a while. You know, that's what this is all about, you know? And the way that we sell discovery at FinSuite now is when the client is unsure about the project. Mm. If a client comes in and has all these things figured out, they, they're just, they're ready to go. We have a full spec. We're not going to try to sell them on discovery. That's, they have, they've already discovered what needs to happen. But a lot of the time, clients will come in and just give half of the story, half of the tasks, or even ask some questions like, hey, we're thinking about doing this in Webflow. Is this possible? And this is a core part of the project. That's when you say, well, this is something that we have to look at together. It's going to require two phone calls. I'm going to make a this, this, and this. And after this discovery process, we're ready to go. Nice. It's hard though. Even that, even if the client's unsure and they really need the discovery, that doesn't mean it's easy to sell it to them. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, let's see. We've got, man, there's a ton of comments in here that we've missed. I'm sorry if we haven't got to your comment. Uh, we are at the hour mark. Uh, let's see. Let's see if there's any couple good ones here that we can pull in before we peel out of here. Go ahead, John. Oh, you know, I, I just had a, a flashback of the story that I told. The, the client that just snapped. This client loved our work so much that we signed an additional two statements of work during the project. That's how much this client loved working with us. That we were working for months and they wanted to lock us up, like reserve our time. So they said, hey, we're doing this foundation site in the future and we're doing this uh, whatever e-commerce thing in the future. So they actually agreed to additional projects within our original project. And they still snapped they still just randomly changed course. So even though we're giving all of this information, we're giving all of this red flag information and how to communicate, it will not work 100% of the time. It's impossible. So don't try to perfect the system. Yeah. Be ready to adapt, be ready to think about it, be ready to, to understand the best move, but it's never going to be 100% and don't expect it to be 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good points there. Let's see a couple more comments. Alicia is saying I had a client who loved the rate uh, because we've agreed on long term collaboration. So, oh, I lowered the rate because we've agreed upon a long term collaboration. As soon as they found someone cheaper, the collaboration stopped never again. Yeah, this is why I like giving these kind of discounts and working for 
like uh, exposure bucks or whatever, you know, that people like to call it. It's just so hard because how is there a way for you to quantify the amount of time the, the website's work worth versus the amount of marketing you're gonna get, right? There are ways to do this. There are ways that if you're gonna trade, you can say, hey, look, I charge $8,000 for my website services, so I need to see $8,000 in whatever this credit is. So if it's gonna be, you know, that they're collaborating with you, then, hey, I need to get X before anything happens, and that could be your contract, and that's a form of payment. But that gets hairy. You know, barter is barter for a reason. There's a reason why we have money, you know, as a society so that we can pay easily without having to worry about, you know, like the exchanging and, and measuring the exchange of value of goods and services. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just would stay away from those type of arrangements. And people that go and find somebody cheaper, this is also a red flag. If somebody is trying to drop you for somebody that is less expensive, Maybe that's a good thing. If, if people are just looking for the straight cost, that means they may not value your work, which is a red flag in itself. Correct. Oh, this is a great one from Omkar. This is, oh man. When a client says they have been through a number of agencies, freelancers, but none of them got it right, that means they're really hard to work with. Uh, this I, mean, I feel like it happens almost every time yeah when when a client says this thing absolutely run thank you omkar for adding that if one. they start bashing the previous developer now granted you could mm -hmm. go into the project because i always used to start with a send me a preview link you know especially when i was in the wordpress or webflow world in wordpress i would absolutely have to log into their back end to see how they had it installed before i would even like do anything because that shit could be crazy webflow do the same thing you know where i want to take a look and peek and see and so um if the client, if the file's a mess and the client starts saying something like this, maybe I can understand. But typically if a client starts bad talking, the person who is doing the work before you, um, there's not anything stopping them from doing the same to you once they get whatever they need out of you. So, uh, let's see, Adrian, this is an interesting point. I saw a few projects last year offering crypto payments. Uh, and then Tanat's asked, do you mm -hmm. accept them? Uh, I would take payment in crypto. I took payments in crypto from a company that I built a website for. I actually worked for a Bitcoin mining startup in like 2016. I built their website uh, and they were paying me in Bitcoin. And I feel like the total idiot because at the time I didn't have the money to leave it invested in Bitcoin. I believed in Bitcoin. I thought Bitcoin was going to be a cool thing in the future. I didn't think it'd be $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 a coin, but I didn't have the money at the time. So I couldn't just leave it, right? Those few hundred bucks per coin, like I had to cash that out because I had to pay my rent and shit, you know? And so it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe you should take payment in crypto. Don't be scared of that. Uh, but it comes down to whether you leave it in crypto or not. You might want to cash that out uh, or run the risk of, of, you know, having that value deflate. So, um, okay. I think there's so much we're doing. I don't think we could, this conversation will just probably keep, keep going as we go through. Joe, any final thoughts here as we um, kind of wrap up? I think that this was a really good episode and i really hope that you learned something i think the biggest takeaway if you're going to take anything from this episode it's be ready to change your process when something bad happens mm. when one of these horror stories happen when a project does not go as planned you need to take the time to think about it adapt make that change yeah incredibly important for growth
Yeah. Yeah, we're going to end with this one because uh, it's 100% true. Um, Abdul Rahman is saying, is it possible to make a living online with Webflow? Uh, lots of folks in this audience are doing that. Lots of folks all over the world are doing that, uh, 100%. This is a great platform to make a living with. Uh, check out some of the previous episodes we have. Uh, we're on, what, episode 58 now. Uh, all of these episodes are about growth, about growing your Webflow business. Uh, we don't do, well, we do tutorials on Thursdays, even though this Thursday's open house, so no tutorial this week, but uh, we'll be doing open house. But the reason we do these growth shows is to help folks figure out how to make a living online with Webflow. So if you're interested in that, go back and check out the previous episodes. And if you haven't done so already, uh, leave a like on the video, you know? Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that. Um, that helps YouTube, uh, you know, put our videos in front of other folks. So I think that's it. Uh, let's see, okay, Christopher Coleman. Yeah, really great conversation. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep it real all the time, you know? Oh yeah. Let's see, Pat, thanks, great content. Okay, yeah, 100%. Okay, everyone, we'll catch y'all next week. Bye. See you at the open house, don't you miss it. I'm coming here. Listen, y'all better be at that open house, okay? All right. Bye, y'all.